You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. The Sportsman's Nation is a 2% for conservation certified business. And on August 21st, you can join other conservationists all over the world in supporting Community Conservation Day. It's a day for anyone to give their time and or dollars back to their local ecosystems and favorite conservation causes. For more information on how you can participate, visit fishandwildlife.org. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Hopefully, everybody's having a good life, living their best life. Um, right now, the main focus, this is going to sound weird, the main focus on my plate, other than you know family and work, is mushrooms. Like, I want to go out and find just like a grocery store sack full of mushrooms, fry them all up, and just gorge myself on them with a cold beer, some bourbon, and just kind of like eat till you're uncomfortable. That is my goal uh, in the next couple weeks. And uh, we just got some rain here in Iowa. Um, Actually, tomorrow... I'm recording this on or uh, editing this on a Tuesday night. This is going to launch on Wednesday. Wednesday, I am recording a podcast um, on the new um, Iowa podcast that we've recently rebranded. It's called the Iowa Hunt and Fish podcast, and um, it's all about hunting and fishing. It's basically the old Iowa Sportsman uh, podcast rebranded into this new one, and uh, we're going to be talking with a mushroom expert, somebody who knows where mushrooms are located, how to find them, how to, you know, all that stuff. And uh, I am excited to record that episode, but I just want to go out and find them. I I found five grays. I found a handful of yellow oysters. I cooked those up today for supper and had those. But uh, I want the morels, man. I want the big morels, the yellow morels. I want to cook them. I want to have some friends over. I want enough to have have a party, basically. That's That's what I'm trying to get at. So... That's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow afternoon if it doesn't rain, going out and looking for them. Uh, I know that they're starting to pop down south of me a little ways here in Iowa. But, uh, you know, and I've seen pictures on social media of people finding them in Indiana, even some in, in Wisconsin, which is funny. But uh, even further down south in like Missouri and uh, we're at uh, southern Illinois. So I know they're getting ready to pop here if, they're, if they haven't already. I just need to go out and find them. And uh, my honey hole uh, didn't seem to be intruded on. Uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go give it a try uh, later this week. But today we have a really 
awesome episode. And I say that all the time and I mean it. I, I love these kind of episodes. We're going to be talking with a guy from New England. His name is Garrick Pelletier, and he kind of, we, we kind of do a hunter profile at the front half of the episode where he talks about growing up um, hunting in New England and, you know, up in the northeast part of the United States. Heavy pressure, heavy population of people, you, you know, um, the, 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 the stories that you hear from the states where there's a lot of people and uh, low quality, if you want to call it quality of deer. And uh, we, we talk about that, but then we kind of get into, and I feel sorry for these guys who live in Ohio who are just like, Johnson, shut your damn mouth. We don't want to, we don't want to talk to anybody else about Oklahoma because, you know, I have a feeling they're going to be like, Oh, there's too many out-of-staters now coming to Oklahoma, which yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, they're good stories. So uh, tough shit, <laughs> tough shit maybe. But uh, Garrett kind of, uh, the second half of this, talks about him moving around in the military, hunting a couple places, landing in, in Texas and Oklahoma, and uh, going in and shooting a really good deer in a not-so-obvious spot in uh, an obvious but not so obvious if that makes sense spot and he hunted hard uh used all his tracking skills and in some really shitty weather and got the job done and it's it's a really it's a really awesome story so not only do you have a hunter profile on the front end but on the back end you have a killer story about a guy uh, who just wanted to go out and uh kill a, a big deer in a different state and he got the job done and it sounds like he's going to continue to go back to oklahoma as much as he wants so uh really cool story there but before we get into the story we got to do some commercials and right now where are we at here right now we are where are we at i don't even know where we're at where we're at oh ozonics and lone wolf all right so ozonics you guys you hear me talk about it all the time man it, it is a can you get the job done without an ozonics yes people do it all the time does it make you more confident once you have once you've dry washed your clothes once you have that in the tree with you um yes it does and what i look at uh, in ozonics and who am i going to try to market this to i'm going to try to market it to the guy who busts his ass at his job all week long all summer long all whatever He's got kids, uh, he's got a wife, he has other responsibilities, and he gets out into the timber maybe once, twice a week during the hunting season, which when you think about it, hunting seasons are here and gone. So this is for, you know, I'm talking in this specific episode, uh, this specific commercial, I'm talking to the guys who just want a little bit more of an advantage going into the woods, right? And... Ozonics can do that for you. Um, Ozonics is that product that gives, in my opinion, it gives you more opportunity. It gives you the ability to um, go into an area scent free and be scent free, not necessarily scent free, but um, uh, a distorted scent cone, right? It gives you the ability to have a, a distorted scent cone and the deer that are uh, going to be there, going to walk, let's say they potentially walk downwind to you, they're not going to bust you. So therefore you have a little bit more of an opportunity. 
to uh, get out there and get the job done, man. So um, do me a favor, go to ozonicshunting.com, check out their lineup. They have a variety of units at a different, a variety of prices. They have a dry wash bag. They have now have a closet. Um, they have some accessories that can go along with one of their, you know, one of their units, but I'm gonna tell you right now, man, it is, uh, it's a product that I really like and I really feel confident when I use it. And I really think everybody should try one. Don't let the price deter you, right? If you want one of those moments that everybody talks about, go borrow one from a friend right so ozonicshunting.com and while while you're there if you do decide to purchase one of those units um, enter the discount code nfc21 that is nfc21 and you're going to be able to let's see uh, a free dry wash bag with the purchase of one of their units and uh, that's a good deal man and then, then it has you covered in the it has you covered in the you know out of the stand and in the stand so there's that all right next commercial lone wolf don't need to say too much about them it's just a really awesome uh like it's an appendage on me it's one of those products where um i don't know how like if you said okay no more no more lone wolf and and you got to hunt from the ground or you got to use a ladder stand or you got to use another system that uh, that only can get you in a straight tree like I don't know what I would do. I'm actually I'm I'm almost kind of like getting nervous <laughs> thinking about that. But I've been using um I've been using Lone Wolf for so long now that uh, I feel like it's just a part of me. It's a part of my confidence. Again, a confidence in the woods. It allows me to get into any tree. It allows me to get into the right tree, not five yards, ten yards off of where I need to be because the tree is straight or accommodates the tree stand this tree stand accommodates the tree so i can get in i can get where i exactly where i need to be it's quiet it's lightweight and it's in with minimal practice it's easy to set up and tear down and once you're once you're in the stand in the tree and you got your safety harness on it is rock solid and it's quiet and that's what you need from a portable tree stand it allows you to be the mobile hunter we all want to be so um lone wolf hunting products.com lone wolf hunting products.com and uh the discount code there is 9fc21 9fc21 so if you purchase anything over $200 so $200 or over you enter that discount code you're going to get a discount of $50 off of all purchases over $200 so you buy a stand $50 off you buy a set of sticks $50 off you buy uh, uh, the the hunt ready system $50 off uh, so 9FC20 that's a great deal on that awesome product awesome people awesome tree stand lonewolfhuntingproducts.com that my friends is the intro so let's go ahead and i'm going to stop talking and we're going to get into this awesome episode enjoy and we'll talk to you on the back end three two one all right on the phone with me today garrick pelletier garrick how we doing man doing good so (laughs) we were just kind of bsing a little bit before we started recording that the people from oklahoma have got to hate me because i've put out Man, in the in the sportsman's nation in general, the cat is out of the bag on Oklahoma, and uh, 
I think they're going to they're going to start hating me and sending me death threats basically saying, "Dude, stop talking about Oklahoma. We don't want any more people <laughs> to come here." Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. Uh I was listening to the past couple podcasts you put out on Oklahoma and I was thinking that same thing like if it's not on people's radar, it's it's going to be now. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, before we start talking about getting into this story, um, why don't you talk to us a, a little bit about where you're from and what do you do for a living? Uh, so I grew up in New Hampshire. I joined the Marines about 10 years ago, so kind of been hopping around America uh, a little bit and overseas. And uh, just everywhere I go, I always look for either an opportunity to go hunting or fishing uh, that's that's usually the first thing on my mind when I find out I'm going somewhere new. Yeah. So I've gotten to do a little bit of hunting in like uh, North Carolina. I actually did quite a bit there. Um, I did quite a bit of fishing all around the world. And this past couple of years, uh, I met my wife like six years ago. So since I met her, I moved up to Massachusetts. So just continuing to do like the new england hunting um and so yeah that's that's kind of been it and did uh after doing 10 years in the marines i hopped over to the air national guard where i'm a f-15 crew chief now so you work on airplanes yep so you work on jets and like hook the missiles up and make sure the guns are loaded on on those things uh, yeah, so I do phase inspection. So like every uh, 400 hours a plane flies, we bring it into the hangar, take all the panels off and uh, do some pretty heavy duty inspections, just making sure that uh, it's ready to go or if it needs an update, we, we help facilitate that. Okay, so have you ever ridden in one of them? The F-15, no. Uh, when I was in the Marines, I was air crew on C-130s. So I got quite a bit of flying time on those. Okay. Um, so for, for those of us who have only flown in a commercial jet or, a, you know, something that hops from, you know, I, I think I'm typically a 45-minute flight from Chicago to where I'm at. You know, I can get to Colorado in, in two hours. What's the difference between the C-130s? Because my, my neighbor's a Marine, and he said that he's uh, flown in some C-130s. Uh, and some other uh, aircraft like that. And uh, he says it's like it's just crazy different. Oh, yeah. Like, especially for the passengers, like, they're, we joke around, we herd them around like cattle. Like, get in the plane, sit down, shut up, don't touch anything. <laughs> um, for for the air crew, it's different. Like, we we get to do kind of whatever we want in the plane, like once we level off and we do our checks, make sure everything's good, we hang up a hammock in the back and snooze for a couple hours while the other crew's watching all the systems and stuff like that. So it's uh, being air crew, it's not that bad, but if uh, if you're a passenger, it's it's not a comfortable way to fly, at least yeah. not on a C-130. Yeah. So in your 10 years in the Marines, you know, you mentioned you bounced all over the United States, but where were you deployed at overseas? Um, I've never done a combat deployment, but I was stationed in, uh, Japan for like two years and, um, having a flying job, I've been to probably like 30 different countries. 
Gotcha. So mostly, mostly cool, friendly places. So your main objective or, or job was as a, uh, an airplane mechanic. Okay. All right. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so 10 years in the, in the Marines, uh, you know, I talk to a lot of guys who are hardcore hunters and then they join the military and it sucks because they don't get to hunt as much as they want while you were, um, active military and stationed all over the U S and, and overseas. Uh, did you ever, like, did you get an opportunity to get out and do hunting or was that kind of limited because of what you were doing and where you were at? So the two years I spent in Japan, um, it was limited. And I also like the two years after that, I did three years of recruiting duty. And those are just like crazy work schedule. We work in six to seven days a week, like 14 hour days sometimes. So um obviously doesn't leave much time to get in the woods but when i was stationed in north carolina um i hunted probably more there than i did anywhere else in the four seasons i hunted there i got like 18 deer because you get uh six tags per season down there so yeah i was eating venison like three or four days a week down there (laughs) that's awesome at least you you know you got uh got the opportunities to do that while you were you know while you were uh stationed i guess you could say um now yeah kind of going all the way back you're originally from new hampshire right correct right correct. so the way i look at all this and i know that there are there are um, different circumstances for where you live in the united states but the closer to the atlantic ocean that you get uh, in the united states especially to where where i'm at the more people there are and now you start talking about New Hampshire and New York and, you know, that the the uh, New England area. We're just talking stacks of people on top of each other all over the place. That's that's the way I envision it anyway. Growing up, yeah. w- were you did you were you used to like pressured hunting from day one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the town I grew up in, uh, Salem. It's like if you take the the main highway coming out of Boston, the first town you hit is the town that I lived in. And New Hampshire, you can hunt Sundays. Mass, you can't. So, and, and the gun season starts a lot er, earlier in New Hampshire. So everybody in Massachusetts is shooting up to New Hampshire and just pounding the woods near the border. So, um, yeah, it's it's not uncommon to have... 10 different guys trying to beat up a hundred, hundred acre piece of woods Yeah, and a hundred acres. That's, that's your average size piece out there. Yeah. Is, is that for public ground or a mix? Uh, I mean, did you strictly hunt public or did you hunt a mix of private as well? So most of new England is kind of unique from the rest of the country where we have uh, common use land. So basically if your property isn't posted anybody can come on and hunt it because you got to figure that hundred acre piece of property could be owned by 20 or 30 different people. And that's pretty much every piece of woods um, around at least the Southern part. So it wouldn't even be feasible to, to get all that information to find all those people and track that down. It, it just, it's, you don't 
have big chunks of land like you do elsewhere in the country. So yeah. that's just kind of er, everything's public essentially. Yeah. Unless it's posted. Unless it's posted. Uh, is a lot of the ground yeah. out there posted? Um, New Hampshire is not too bad. Uh, a lot of places of mass are, but uh, mass is pretty good about the WMAs and um the further west you go it's not too bad i live in western mass now and it's it's not too hard to find good good property okay so with with all that said then um you know it sounds to me like you kind of split your time between new hampshire and and mass is one of is one better as far as hunting than the other um I would say mass is definitely better because the way they structure their season, um, gun doesn't start till the Monday after Thanksgiving. So pretty much the entire rut is only bow. And even then their bow season starts in October where September starts in, uh, uh, New Hampshire starts in September. So, uh, they don't get near the pressure. So I think it allows for, a better age structure and there is some towns can't can make it a little more difficult with the bylaws in Massachusetts so that kind of does keep some people out of the woods in certain areas so if you're not willing to do your homework it can make it harder to um, to find good places in Massachusetts so I think that also allows some better deer and then I now live on the Connecticut border um, I've gotten a little bit into Connecticut and talked to quite a few people in Connecticut and it seems Connecticut's even better. So okay. I think New Hampshire of the three I've hunted is probably the toughest, especially up North. Like when you get up North, there's just, it's not even so much the pressure, just such a low deer density. Yeah. So a while ago I had a guy, well, I think I've had two guys on from Vermont and you know, for me, if I don't see five deer, let's just say five deer. If I don't see five deer in a in a sit, a single sit, uh, or more, I, I'd be a little disappointed. Let's just say, uh, it not it's not yeah. too terribly uncommon because I still within a certain you know certain times a year I may get skunked on a on a set. But this guy was telling me basically, man, if I see five deer in a, a week or a month man, that's, that's pretty average. And that blows my mind as far as, uh, a deer density is concerned. Right. So are, what's a, what's a typical year, typical, uh, I guess, quantity versus quality on the, uh, uh, as far as the, you know, the areas that you hunt up there in new England. So New Hampshire, I'll typically like when I was younger, I, I wasn't a mobile hunter. I typically would set up a climber and hunt that tree for almost the entire season, maybe bounce around a little bit, but um, I wasn't a mobile hunter. So I, I think that definitely affected me a lot in my younger years, but I had some tough seasons where uh, my toughest one, I remember I saw only one doe that entire season and I shot her cause it was getting late and I had no venison in the freezer and, um, but your typical season when I was younger, I'd see probably, I don't know, 10 to 15 deer throughout the season. Nowadays in Massachusetts, I'm a lot more mobile. Typically I'll never sit a tree more than once, maybe twice in a season. And I'll usually see a deer or two, 
uh, each hunt, sometimes more, sometimes less. So. Okay. Yeah, man. I just like, I'm on a map right now and I'm looking at the Boston area. And then you kind of just scroll down the coastline and it's all just all these pretty big cities. Is is Massachusetts similar to some of the other states? Let's just say like, obviously New York has um, some big cities like Buffalo uh, on the west side of the state. But for the most part, it's just all stacked in New York. And then, it you know, the, the people density kind of disperses as you go north and west out of the state. Is that similar to Massachusetts? Like Boston is the huge city and then there's there's a uh, rural opportunity on the west side of the state? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Like the, the western half, especially when you get like against uh, the New York border, um, it's there's not a lot of density out there. Like the only real density is around Springfield, um, which isn't really that big of a city. And once you get 15-minute drive outside there, you're kind of back into the woods. Yeah. So it's it's not too bad. And then kind of in the center of the state you got Worcester which is kind of like the same thing it's it's a little more um urban but um not still not too bad yeah not nothing like the Boston area that's that's just crazy out there yeah so let me ask you this describe the terrain that you've hunted over the years whether it was you know you hunted in New Hampshire or Massachusetts or Connecticut or wherever you hunted um Walk us through the terrain and the environment that these deer are living in. So New England was mostly um, like mature timber, um, just gentle rolling hills, nothing too extreme for the terrain. Uh, A lot of little swamps that you try and key in on, stuff like that. And then when I was down in North Carolina, um, that's I was at Cherry Point, which is right on um the noose river so it's kind of you got little creeks and uh rivers kind of going through there so it's mostly uh pine plantation so you're just trying to find the little bits of transition zones around the creeks because most of it's monotonous with all the pines trying to find those couple oaks or whatever yeah um or the cattails around the edges of the water and then, um, yeah, other than that is nothing, nothing, uh, like what I, what I had in Texas and Oklahoma. That's for sure. Yeah. And I want to, I want to get into that too in a little bit, but what, what, what I'm interested about is there's so much edge in Iowa, right? And, and, and uh, even when mm. I was in, went to Michigan and even when I was in, um, Oh man, I hunted Missouri like one time. There's edge, right? You have ag, you have timberline, you have, you know, certain parts of a a creek system where it gets thick and opens up into the timber or opens up into a CRP field. Like it's noticeable. So up and, and I hear this from the guys in the Southeast too, down in, uh, let's just say Georgia or other States where there's a tons of pines all over. It's just acres and acres and acres of pine trees um, with no real noticeable terrain features, no real noticeable edge or um, habitat change. How do you go in to um, an environment like that and try to locate deer and set up on them to try to kill them? 
So in New England, with the rolling hills, um, you get maybe 100 to 400 feet of elevation change. So um, I'm sure most people are familiar with uh, Dan Infault and his hill country hunting uh, DVDs and kind of principles and that leeward edge and uh, final little points and stuff like that. That helped me out a lot with kind of figuring out how they bet on points and how they're using the terrain. So I've kind of used that to, to key in on a lot. And then as far as transitions uh, where I live in Mass, is uh, quite a few pockets of mountain laurel. And that can be tough to find on an aerial unless you kind of go through like the Google Earth and do the historical where you can find a good shot in the fall where it really highlights that mountain laurel. And so I'll do that and I'll just kind of walk those edges and uh, see how it plays against the terrain and just mark spots on the map and go back and and try them out. Um, Like I said earlier, swamps are, are usually a pretty good bet that there's going to be something happen around a swamp so just same thing kind of looking around but at the same time uh swamps around here is what most people key in on so uh you you're more kind of tree stand hunting and looking for where those other guys are around the swamps and you are as i should say equally as you are looking for deer sign because uh that's where i typically find the most hunter sign yeah so you're not only having to locate the deer uh, sign, but you also have to know how to flank the other hunters to put yourself in, I guess, some kind of position between the deer movement and them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and I will say the good thing about, like, there's a lot of guys that like their permanent setups, and for whatever reason, it's a magnet to other hunters that also want to put their permanent setups. I don't understand that thought process but a lot of people do it out here so it kind of makes like a dead zone in the woods that i just don't even bother with i, I just assume if someone's got a permanent setup it's just easier to assume they're a sloppy hunter they're leaving lots of scent behind so just don't even bother with that piece and look elsewhere yeah and that's a good thing i think a lot of people would probably you know and obviously you just said it it's almost like an attract and oh man i see a deer stand here there must be there must be good deer moving moving through this area because there's a tree stand here. Why would that tree stand be here? So then you got that guy, and then another guy yeah. comes in. Meanwhile, you're out there actually observing that kind of movement and going, uh-uh, like uh, no deer are coming through here except at nighttime, and uh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go somewhere else. Yeah, every tree stand or blind or hunter sign that I find. I just mark with a magenta marker on my onyx and that just beams out at me whenever I pull up the map. All right, let's, let's stay away from this area and let's go focus elsewhere. Right. Is there a, uh, uh, when, when you say a permanent set, right? It's something that's there all the time. Are the, are people allowed to leave their tree stands and blinds up all year round on, on that kind of ground? Yes. Yeah, and a lot of people have the mindset it's like marking their territory. Yeah. So there's so there even if it's not their property. The the only rules are is you can't um 
stick pegs or spikes into the tree. Like it's, it's yeah. going to be like a strap on stand or hang on stand. Yeah. So, and then you got, you have a scenario where a mobile hunter moves into an area and I've had this happen on many occasions. Well, I've had my tree stand here for 20 years. Okay. What's you, you're not, you weren't hunting here like, uh, you know, last week. Yeah. Well, I'm here now. I mean, like, uh, uh-uh, I'm sorry. That's not how it works, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so what, what is a good air? What is a good, uh, buck for your part of the country? Um, in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, if, if you're hitting something around a hundred, 110 inches on a regular basis, you, you're doing pretty good. And, um, in New England, I honestly, uh, I got a couple around the hundred inch mark. Uh, uh, I'm by no means a, a stellar New England hunter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the the thing about it is you can't shoot what's not there. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And if that is the benchmark for that area, and you're consistently killing the benchmark, man, I, I would say that that is uh, that's a that's a very good thing. Yeah, I mean, I I typically do better than most people I know. Um, there are New England definitely has some serious killers in it for sure, and I, I think the skill level that you have to have to to just get on deer in general out here. If you take that elsewhere, it you're going to be a good hunter elsewhere. Because yeah. like when I got to North Carolina, I was blown away with how much easier it was. Like I'm. I'm seeing like five deer every set, like filling tags, like, like just so easily. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and shooting a lot, lot better quality deer too. Right. Well, and that's the, that's the other thing that you can be a really good hunter and you can go into an environment and be successful. Let's just say in any state. And then you also said that, you know, you can, it was easy for you when you went down to North Carolina or, you know, it was um, different because it was maybe a little easier. Well, you can, you can control everything that you do in an environment, but you cannot control what other people do in an environment. And it, you know, it's like, you can be the best hunter in the world, but if another guy comes through and blows your whole setup, uh, whether you know it or not, or he's just over the ridge, you know, smoking a cigarette on the way to the stand or doing it, you know, whatever, that's just things yeah. that people can't control. And if you and if you remove yeah. some of that stuff and take take that same knowledge over to a different uh, environment, it's almost like you're bound to be successful. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. So, let's talk about this Oklahoma uh, deal now, because, like, walk me through how this went down. You, you got out of the Marines, you joined the National Guard, and then you were stationed in. You got stationed in Texas? Yeah, so um, since I joined the Air National Guard, I started working on a different platform, so I had to go through some schooling. So unexpectedly, like I knew schooling was coming up. I just didn't know when it was going to happen. So I'm all excited, thinking I'm going to have my best season in Massachusetts. And August, like, 15th comes up, and I get an email like, hey, back your bags in two weeks you're you're headed to texas for the next four months 
So at first I'm like, man, all that work I just did in the woods, like doesn't mean anything now. Cause I'm not even going to be able to put it to use. And then my second thought is, well, I'm going to Texas, which is a known big buck state. And I'm right on the border of Oklahoma, which is another big buck state. Like, Hey, let's, let's see what I can make happen. Like I had good luck in North Carolina. So I think if I'm, uh, if I hit it hard, I, I can make some good things happen. Okay. So you got the email in August or that's when you actually had to move was August to head out there. So I, I got to Texas on August 27th and I, as soon as I got there, had to do my COVID quarantine. So the first couple of days in my hotel room, I'm just beating up the internet. I'm looking at every WMA, uh, Texas and Oklahoma had within like an hour and a half of me. And I started calling up game wardens that cover those, seeing how it was. And this one that kind of piqued my interest in, um, in Oklahoma. Cause like, I, I remember listening, to, um, what's the, was it Southern ground hunting? Yeah. Um, he was talking about, like some of the, the smaller ones kind of get overlooked and also people kind of key in on the Creek. So it leaves the other stuff like the more wide open stuff untouched. And so that was kind of something I went to and also that the, everyone kind of flocks to the, the bigger pieces. So I called this game warden up that was kind of covering this small area. And I was asking him about it. He's like, honestly, it's, kind of like a little honey hole nobody ever really touches it he's like i'm lucky if i see one or two people there a season i'm like okay so i go out um a week later when i finally got off my quarantine and i go there fishing for the evening and then i once it gets close to sunset i go around glassing and i pull up and i see a deer stick his head up and i pull up the binoculars and then three more deer stick their head up and they're all like three of them would have been the biggest bucks I've ever seen in the woods. <laughs> like, like just chilling there, like 50, 60 yards away. Like not, nothing's even bothering them. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I pull my camera out. I'm taking pictures of them, watching them for like probably a good 10, 15 minutes. And I drove away and just kind of didn't really go back there glassing because it was a popular fishing spot. So I don't want anyone else kind of, like, hey, what's that guy doing and keying anybody else to these bucks? So I made a note of the wind, and I noticed there was a, a southeast wind that these bucks, that I saw these bucks on. And so, like, a week later, I got a complete downpour, and I went out scouting during that downpour, and I just beat up this little 40-acre chunk of woods that they seemed to be bedding in. And it was just the thickest nastiest stuff i've ever seen like i'm not sure even what kind of plant it was but it was just these thorny vines that i i was literally belly crawling belly crawling under them like to get through this piece so like i knew i had to hunt the edges there was no like hunting inside of it and there was no hangable trees anywhere on this property so i knew i was going to be ground hunting yeah so I, I bounced around a little more, checked out a few pieces of property, uh, checked out a piece in Texas, and just kind of shoot my bow, waiting 
for October 1st to roll around when the season opened. Finally, it does. I didn't have a good wind, so I hunted another piece um, where I saw glassed an eight-pointer the night before and had, saw like six or seven deer that night, uh, n- nothing, nothing too noteworthy. And then the next night, I got the right wind I wanted. So I get to this spot, and I set up in this little thicket of thorns, and like clockwork, the same time I saw glass those bucks up that night, I look over, and about 60 yards away, they start parading out of the woods, and they just do this big loop around me and for almost an hour. And finally, they got within about 50 yards of me, and... I got to back up a little bit. I I was also doing a antelope hunt the weekend after uh, with my one of my good college buddies that lives out in Oklahoma, my buddy Joey. And so I had built a, a lighter arrow for antelope hunting. So I had some Sharpie ticked marks on my my tape. So I accidentally went to my 50 yard mark for my antelope arrow and not my deer arrow and I shot right under this thing's belly and he took a couple bounds and just kind of laughed at me and walked away and he was one of two 10 points that were real nice they were probably I'm gonna say 130 140 inch like I'm not that good at guessing size but two of the biggest deer I've seen like especially coming from New England and so I had my blood pumping I played cat and mouse with these things for like the next two weeks. And, All right. I got to uh, stop you here. I got to stop because yeah. I, I, I want to know, like all this happened on the first time you went into that, into that uh, piece of property, or did you go in a day and start like, did you start scouting it as soon as you got there? And then when the season started is when you started having these encounters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. So I, I started I started scouting a weekend and I like, I I started scouting immediately online, looking at maps, talking game warns, all that about a weekend to me being down there, like the first week of September, that's when I first glassed them up. And then a week after that, when I had a downpour, I go in there and I, I scouted the whole area, like boots on the ground, just picking apart that piece, trying to figure out, where these things are betting, how they're using that little 40 acres of woods because the rest of it's just like overgrown cow pasture. Yeah. So there's no, there's no trees to set a tree stand in, but the deer are in there. Yep. Okay. Exactly. All right. So it's just a jungle. in there. Gotcha. So were you, the first night that you went in and started scouting it, you actually saw these bucks, this like bachelor group of bucks that were living there. Okay. Yep, so it was uh, too nice. Good. So you knew that there were there were good deer on this on this this property. Other than the vegetation, right? There's there's this overgrown vegetation that's in there that's uh, you know causing them to uh, to live there. What was there any water? What what do you think their food source was? What was the terrain in that area, and how are they using it? So it was, it was surrounding a lake, 
the whole property was surrounded a lake and it was mostly um old cow pasture that was converted into uh wma and so it had like mesquite trees and like a lot of thorn thickets um and then it had this one 40 acre kind of like creek bottom that had like a bunch of tall trees in it but underneath the trees it was just an overgrown jungle okay so the it was almost like this undergrowth across the whole the whole area yeah okay so i have a couple properties like that and it you know if i could i you know i would i would want to get in there in the thickness and hunt them however whether i'm on the ground or in a tree it's so thick that shot opportunities are limited Uh, did you have to face or think about that at all yeah, so that that thick 40 acres of, of woods, um, there was, unless I went there blazing through shooting lanes, uh, there just was not an opportunity to really shoot in there. I was just sticking to the edges of it kind of more and the, the overgrown cow pasture. Like the cow pasture was mostly grasses with little thickets here and there kind of mixed in. And what I would do is I just find like a thicket that was about when I was sitting on like a little uh, swivel stool, the thicket would come up to about my shoulders and then I got like a little boonie cover on. So I'm, I'm just kind of level with the rest of the vegetation and like just find like a little high spot that kind of breaks up my outline a little bit. I gotcha. Okay. Um, so then, so then you, you've kind of found where they were moving through uh, and then it it sounds to me like you when you actually started hunting, you started having. I mean, you were seeing them almost instantly, right? I mean, not instantly as soon as you got there, yeah. but like the first the first sits, the first time you went in, you were you were having encounters. Yep, yeah. The first sit I I saw, like the first sit I I went to that property, I saw those bucks come out just like they did the first night. I glassed them the month prior. And pretty much, I'd say 50% of the hunts, I had an encounter with one, if not both of those 10-pointers. Um, like the four days into the season, like two nights or two days after that first night, I did a morning hunt and I had those two 10-pointers at 15 yards. And all I needed them to do was jump a barbed wire fence from the private onto public. And I would have had a, a perfect shot. And they just stood there at that barbed wire fence for about five or 10 minutes. And until the wind swirled, caught my wind and they took off. Gotcha. And then the other, the, another uh, encounter where you actually missed one, right? Yep. Okay. So, so how many days did it take you, uh, of hunting that area? I mean, was this a, a week long before you actually you know, got a buck on the ground. Uh, was it with archery? Cause the picture you sent me, you're wearing blaze orange. Um, did archery season pass with no opportunities and, and you ended up getting a, a rifle tag or, um, kind of walk us through that entire process of the, the, the chess match that you played with these deer on that, on that piece. So I hunted 
I'd say probably four or five days every week um, and like all, all day every weekend. And it was uh, archery season. And the reason why I was wearing blazed orange in that picture was because it was muzzleloader season, uh, but the WMA I was on was archery only. Okay. So even though it was muzzleloader season, I could still only use bow on that WMA. So but, but you I, still I had to that. wear you still had to wear blaze orange for uh, whatever regulations. Yeah, just because yeah. it's private nearby. I got gotcha. you. So. Yeah, better safe than sorry. Yeah. So, so how many? So you hunted four or five days. You know, you were hunting all the time down there. Were yeah. For how many weeks did it take you to get the job done, or was it right away? No, it it took me about four weeks. I had a lot of close encounters, um, never could quite seal the deal. And then um, in that last podcast you were talking about with Oklahoma, uh, I heard him mention it. There was a crazy ice storm at the end of October between the 27th and the 28th. Yeah. And so class got canceled for us. So it was like, perfect. It's super cold. I've always had good luck in the rain. I love hunting in the rain and class just got canceled to me. So now I got all day to go out. So I didn't get the official word that class was canceled till about 11. So by the time I got to my, my hunting spot, it was about noon on the 27th. And as I'm pulling up, I'm on the phone with one of my good hunting buddies back home. And all of a sudden I see this doe jump out in the road right as I'm at the south corner of the public and she just like stops and stands there in the middle of the road looking at me as I'm about 50 yards away and closing in on her and then all of a sudden right behind her the hugest buck I've ever seen like one I haven't seen since I've been out there just jumps into the road after her and he looks at me and he bounds into the public land and so I pull up to where he just jumped into and I'm like freaking out on the phone, telling my buddy, like the, the play by play. And I'm trying to take a picture of him and he bounded away into the thick stuff. So i never did get a picture of him. And so then the doe is still on the road. So I start trying to pull up and get past her and she won't jump the fence. Me and her are having like a slow race going down the road. And she ran down the road for about like 200 yards before she finally jumped the fence. So I go about another, I don't know, eighth mile down the road to the parking spot and I park and I'm just thinking to myself, like, I just separated a buck from his potentially hot doe, like game on. So I'm just excited at this point. And, uh, the only problem was they were to the South of me and I just parked to the North of them and I had a North wind blowing straight at them. So what I did was I grabbed all my gear real quick and I shot across an access road to the edge of the lake and I just hugged the edge of the lake and hoped that my wind would blow out over the water, which luckily it did. And I was able to work my way down the edge of the lake to where I saw that buck jump into the woods and I saw like a big like clump of cattails and like a spot just beyond the cattails where I could kind of duck into the woods. And just as I'm rounding the edge of the cattails, I see his tail pop up 
and he sat bounding away. And I knew he hadn't smelled me. He had only caught my movement, and I didn't know exactly how much visual he had gotten and where that doe was. So I tried doing some doe bleeds to see if I could get him to come back around and take a look. So after that, I hung out for like 15 minutes, seeing if I could get him to come. Never did. So I start going after where I saw him take off to, and now I had the wind in my favor. So I just start creeping through the woods. And like I said, it's raining out, it's cold. So it's nice, super quiet stocking conditions. And I get about 150 yards in from the shore where I jumped him and I cut his tracks in the sand. So I knew I was on the right, right path. And I keep going and about a hundred yards later, I look up and there this buck is standing a broadside at about 60 yards. And I didn't want to stretch my shot that far. And I didn't quite think I could close the distance between me and him. It was just too open and nothing to really hide behind. So I ducked back down and I low crawled behind this bush to put some uh, object between me and him. And I tried doing a little bit of calling to see if I could get him to come poke his head around and, and look for that doe again. Well, wait another 15, 20 minutes. He wasn't having it. So at this point, I'm like, all right, this, this thing's not dumb. He's not falling for my call. So give that up. And so when, when you I called, when you called, mm-hmm. did, did he hear you and, and, and look your direction at all? I ne- I didn't have visual as I was calling on him, so I don't know. Okay. Um, granted, it was raining. It may have been too muffled for him to hear. Yeah. But I, I figured 60 yards away, he, he could probably hear, but it, it's tough to know for sure. I was just using like a little can bleat and just a regular grunt call. I got gotcha. you. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. So, so, so then... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, so then um, after that, I go about another 50 yards of where I had last seen him. And right as I get just past there, the doe jumps up and she runs past me back from where I just came from. So I'm like, okay, that's good. I just separated him from his doe again. So he's probably still going to be looking for her. So... I waited like another 15 minutes just to see if like he was on her trail, still trying to sniff her out. And, uh, he never, never came through. So I kept going. And as I crossed that access road that I came in on, it's all like Sandy gravel. I cut his track again. So at that point I saw him, I knew he went into the, the little 40 acre chunk of woods that those two 10 points have been bedded in. And I knew exactly how it laid out and where he would most likely be bedding. So I set up in the closest spot to that bedding where I would have an opportunity to shoot in that kind of overgrown pasture area. Yeah. And I found a nice little hemlock tree. I just kind of stuck some branches around the base to break up my outline a little bit. And at this point, it's about like three o'clock in the afternoon, still uh, drizzling, freezing rain. And I just sat down and knew I was in for a long sit and waited uh, until about maybe half hour of 
shooting light left, probably not even that. It was starting to get pretty dark, and it's still raining, and all of a sudden I hear some rustling to my right, and I'm on my little tripod swivel stool, and I look, and I'm expecting it to come to my left, so I'm kind of caught off guard, and there this huge, tall, heavy rack buck is, and I'm just like, oh, man, it's now or never because he's about to take one more step and he's going to be in the thick stuff where I'll never have a shot. Yeah. So in one motion, I swiveled around on my stool and I drew back and he's only at 10 yards. Holy so he, shit. He quickly. Yeah. He, he, he snuck in real stealthy, like like only 10 yards and I'm on the ground with him at eye level. So I, I'm like, I didn't even have time to get excited. It was just it happened so quick. I just reacted. And as I'm pulling back, he snaps his head up and he bounds off twice and stops broadside at 35. And I had my pin set for 25, so I held high and had been practicing for that. And I let it go. And I, I couldn't see where the arrow hit because it was starting to get dim, but I heard it crack bone solid. And so I wait about like 10 minutes and I'm texting my buddy that I was on the phone with, my buddy Gary there. And I'm like, dude, I just, I just hit a huge one. And he's like calling me and I'm, I'm like, just trying to, trying to like settle out. Cause I'm freaking out at this point. Like, holy cow, I just shot like the hugest deer I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I wait about 10 minutes and I go check the arrow and it's still raining out pretty good. So I knew like blood was getting washed away. I wanted to wait a little longer, but it's like, all right, I got to see, like what kind of blood I'm working with. And as soon as I pick up my arrow, my heart just sinks. Like not only it doesn't have any fletching on it, like the fletching and like the last six inches of the arrow got snapped off, but the broadhead only has fat on it and almost no blood at all. So I, I look like 10 yards in this direction, 10 yards in that direction, circle out a little more and I can't find a speck of blood anywhere. Mm. So I'm just like, um, my heart's sinking. I'm just thinking like I hit this thing in the brisket or I, I sent it through his back straps. Like I, I must've made a bad shot. Like all the worst things are going through my head. And I just, I had nothing to go on. And I knew like it's, it's tall, like almost chest high grass. So it's like, it's bad conditions anyway for a, a blood trail and then you add in the fact that it's raining out. I know it's all getting washed away. So it's like, what do I do? I got nothing to go off of. Like maybe it's a liver hit and I push them. So it's like, all right, like, all right I just got to back out. And I had been listening to a podcast like a couple days before with a dog tracker. And the dog tracker is like, if you even think you are going to need a tracker, don't go grid searching because that's how we lose tracks is when people just start stomping around the area and stinking it up. Just back out, call us, and be patient. So I'm like, all right, like, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call a tracker. So I get on Facebook, look up the tracking groups, start calling some numbers, and after about an hour I was able to get one to agree to meet me in the morning, which I figured was perfect anyways. So just in case it was a bad hit, that um, – he, he would bleed out and, and die off. So morning comes, I meet him right at sunrise and we go out to the spot where the last hit was. 
and the dog starts sniffing around and he doesn't really seem like he's keying in on anything. So I'm just losing more and more confidence and just thinking all the worst thoughts, like I made a horrible hit, this, that, and the other. And so finally, after a couple minutes, he starts kind of wandering along and not really pulling or going too crazy. So same thing, not super confident. And we get about 70 yards and I just see antlers sticking up out of the grass and I just, I lose my mind. Like, I'm like, are you friggin' kidding me? And he was stone dead, like not even 70, 80 yards away from where I hit him. And what had happened was, or at least this is how the only thing I can think of is when I shot, he just started dropping and rolling real hard. So even though I was eye level at the same elevation as him, the arrow actually traveled up through his body cavity because I, I hit him dead center in the body up and down and right at the crease of the shoulder. It went up, took out a chunk of his spine and blew through the offside scapula. And as the arrow was traveling through the scapula, he's dropping and it snapped off the last six inches, yeah. which I found in his chest cavity when I was gutting him out. Okay. Okay. So, it ended up being a perfect double lung hit. Oh, that's crazy, man! And I, I tell you what, man, I don't. Um, I've had I've had deer where I I, I straight up smoke. I mean, double lung. Uh, the, you know, you the perfect the perfect amount. The arrow went through, not very much blood on it, and uh, not very much blood on the uh, uh, on not only on the arrow but on the track job too. Like very minimal blood. And I ended up having to leave the deer overnight and come back the next morning and, and pick up and, and, you know, eventually we found him. But what's crazy is if they're stretched out, right, and you shoot them and then they start to run, that skin comes over top of the, the wounds and there's the blood stays in the body. And the yeah. so, and sometimes depending on how fat the deer is or what position, it's almost like their their hide or the fat on the back end just wipes the arrow clean so you just have this you have this this uh, scenario where you're just like totally not confident with what just happened and even though you just drilled him and uh man that I've, i've been there before man that sucks and that was exactly what happened what you say about the fat i i've I have never seen a deer so fat before. Like he had an inch of fat, like on every inch of his body. Like it was, it was insane. Like I, I've never seen such a fatty deer before. Yeah. Like I I guess down there, they're just eating good. Yeah, absolutely. Man. And it's what blows my mind is how you had the wherewithal and you don't hear this. Like I would say that a majority of hunters would bump that buck and then they would just be like, well, he's gone forever. So throughout that whole process, do you feel like he, like he winded you at all, or was, or was it just maybe visual bumps that got him? So I think that um, I don't think he ever caught my wind. Maybe a little bit when I was crossing that access road, but it was so far away that. Um, he it wouldn't have been like a threat to him i think it was more just visual bumps and 
I don't even know if he if he even heard my call, if I if I had even bumped him at that point. And then when I was actually sitting down, I had a, a good win, so I uh I I don't think he ever smelled me. He he only saw me drawing back. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, that's one hell of a story <laughs> and, and, and being able to, now, let me ask you this. When you say you caught his tracks again, were these noticeable buck prints and noticeably fresh over top of everything else that was, you know, on the road or in the sand? Like you just like, Hey, I know that's him. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was, because like I said, it was raining out and like you could see, like the rain washing, like the sand and gravel, like kind of clean. And these are fresh tracks in, in the sand and gravel kind of mud area. Yeah. So, you know, for sure. And they were big tracks. Yeah. Like they weren't little doe tracks. Like you could tell like, this is, this is a fresh track and this is a big buck track. Yeah, man. That's nuts. Uh, congratulations, man. And, and the, what is crazy is the the continuation of that 10 yard move where he was at 10 yards when you did that little spin in the chair and drew back he pegged you right like he he saw that happen but you stayed on him at full draw and he just stopped and turned back right yep man that's like yeah that's like and and like a New England deer, I don't think would ever do that. No. <laughs> no. Well, and it's crazy because you see that. Like, I see that. If I, you know, sometimes if I've ever been busted um, or I uh, a deer, I'm jumping a deer and they're in the woods or whatever it is that where I bust them, they'll bound off. They, they very rarely just haul ass unless I hit them or unless uh, they catch scent with the you know if they catch a nose full of scent they're gone but if they see me they'll they'll do that they'll do that bound bound stop and turn around and i've heard of guys who um sam calora uh he told me this that every deer he's a he's a well-known hunter here in iowa he's killed like three 200 inch bucks and uh he owns a, a deer uh a deer farm where he collects their urine and all this stuff. And he told me that after every deer that he shoots at the top of his lungs, he screams at this deer like, Hey, and it gets them to stop after he shoots them. It gets them to stop and look back. And that's, that's what he says. Uh, and, and then he just, and at that point they're stopped, they're looking and then they eventually die closer rather than run, run off. And uh, so it's, it's just crazy how, that cost that 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 mistake killed that deer that that mistake for him killed him right because you oh, yeah. and a lot of guys would see him run off and then they they'd lower their draw you you stayed with him and uh that's that's a big yeah. lesson right there like just stay with them until they're out of range or you have no shot yeah so man i tell yeah, you no, what it, it was definitely yeah crazy day <laughs> so, all right so biggest buck you go to oklahoma and you're just seeing the biggest deer that you've ever seen in your life um and then this buck that you shot i take it it is the biggest deer you ever shot yep 
Yeah. Yep. That's probably the biggest year I've ever shot. Yeah. So so now you're back in uh, you're back in the Northeast. Are you making plans to go back to Oklahoma to hunt every year now, or is that just a one and done deal for you? So no, I, I'm definitely going back because uh, my buddy that I was talking about earlier, um, uh, I, I was me and him always got that friendly rivalry, busting each other's balls. And I'm like, oh, man, when are you going to catch up, dude? And he's like, shut up. You, you know, you don't get like that in New England. He's like, we're going back. I don't care. He's like, I'm telling my wife right now we're going there. <laughs> and we were actually going to go back this season. But uh, I, I actually found out a couple months ago I got a little girl on the way. So oh, congratulations. I'll, uh, I'll be sticking local this season. Thank I got gotcha. you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, yeah, I tell you what, uh, man. What, but no, in the future, I'll definitely be back there. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. So for, you know, for uh, this is an audio show, but so people can imagine what this deer looks like. Uh, how old do you think he was? How big is he? Uh, describe him to us. Um, so I think he's either four or five years old. Um, I, I took his jawbone out. I am going to send out a tooth uh, just out of curiosity and um i guess he probably weighs somewhere around uh, maybe 170 pounds i never did get him on a scale wish i could have that's that's kind of a new england thing and then uh i rough taped him at about 145 and i i could be off on that plus or minus 10 inches i don't know but uh just a solid frame nine pointer five inch brow tines the the full point side uh, his G2s and G3s were like almost 10 inches long. So. Awesome. That's uh, one, hell, one hell of yeah, a deer, man. Awesome buck. One yeah. hell of a deer. Congratulations, man. Congratulations on the new kid coming your way. And good luck uh, in New England. And the next time you head out to Oklahoma, man. Thank you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Garrett. Congratulations on... Uh, your Oklahoma deer and uh, man I don't know I wish everybody luck I there's nothing more than I want out of you know me talking to all these people you know talking to the quote-unquote experts talking to the average Joe's talking to the gear people talking to the conservation people all I want is to for everybody to go out and feel the same excitement that I do every time that I go out in the woods, whether it's just scouting, whether it is actually hunting, whether it is, you know, taking someone else out for the first time, whether it's you're going with your kids, whether you're going by yourself, whatever. I'm so jacked up about this that I want everybody else who's out there to feel like I feel because if we can get more people just to get out, get out there. And this is going to sound kind of hippie, but get the feels, man, this, this sport is not going anywhere because of all the passion that's behind it. And, uh, I, I know there's a lot of passion behind it. So, uh, if you want to follow more of the nine finger Chronicles, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, nine finger Chronicles, follow the sportsman's nation on Instagram and Facebook and uh man if you got a kick-ass story hit me up on instagram or facebook uh let me know what you're you know we can if you got a cool story if there's something you want to talk about i literally uh, you know i'm not gonna say i i will talk to anybody because there is a little bit of a vetting process that i i do before i just welcome anybody on the podcast but i will say this i talk to a lot of people 
And most of the time it's, hey, I got a cool story. Cool. Come on the podcast. Okay, cool. I have one question. Can you talk understandable English? And that's really that's really all you need to know. <laughs> then I then I hop on and we share your story. So if uh, you want to hop on, hit me up and uh, we can go from there. But thank you, everybody. Huge shout out to all the sponsors, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and the Average Conservationist. Wait, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and Vortex Optics. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Other than that, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you.